Welcome to Exploring the Marketplace show, where we're creating a conversation for what God's doing through Christians in the marketplace. I'm Sean Bowles, and my co-host is Bob Hassan. We interview everyday influencers, business leaders, and entrepreneurs from all areas of industry, exposing you to powerful stories of what God's doing through people just like you. We're also sharing our thoughts about what God's doing in finance, business, entertainment, and politics. Come join the conversation now. Welcome to Exploring the Marketplace. I'm Bob Hassan with my friend, Sean Bowles. Sean, what's going on in the show today? Well, today on the show, the head of one of the most known ministries in America, a ministry for men called Promise Keepers, is sharing out of a place of vulnerability, really, about a prayer he prayed, Bob, that almost wrecked everything in his life, but <laughs> ended up being the best thing he ever prayed. And so you need to join us for this authentic conversation as Ken Harrison shares the story that's going to define yours, really. But let me tell you about Ken real fast, because Ken's the chairman and CEO of Promise Keepers. But he was also a police officer, and he was before that in the LAPD in one of the hardest areas of the city, which is Compton. And then after that, he was also involved with real estate, and not just in a small way, but we're going to get him to tell some of that story too, I believe, today. Now he's the CEO of Waterstone, a Christian community foundation that gives away over $1 million per week to God's kingdom. And I think he's the perfect person to lead at Promise Keepers because he's quantified some things out of his own place of vulnerability as well, which I think is really going to be amazing for not only us to hear, but our listeners, you guys to hear as well. So up next is Ken Harrison. You're going to get a free resource, the Translating God Workbook and Masterclass. You don't need Translating God, my best-selling book, to do the workbook. It's actually standalone, and it's going to teach you how to take your relationship with God, the way you hear Him, and actually transform your life and the world around you. The Masterclass, I get to coach you for hours about your relationship with God, how to hear His voice, and how to impact the world as well. If you make a donation to us of any amount, doesn't matter if you give $5 or $25 or $5,000, we're gonna give you something back. You're gonna get a free resource that we send back your way to sow back into you because we believe in investing back to those who are on the journey with us. And I'm so excited to be able to offer it to the whole world for free because of generous donations from everyday listeners and viewers like you. I wanna encourage you to make a donation at bullsministries.com. I can't wait to give to you as you sow into this ministry. Well, welcome back to Exploring the Marketplace. We're here with Ken Harrison. Ken, how are you today? I'm, well, we've been talking for the last 20 minutes, laughing with each other. <laughs> I'm good. You guys are good. Well, we're so glad you're on. I mean, I'm, I, I got an interview on my on my other show, The Sean Bull Show, and I just found who you are and what you're doing so authentic. And I'm so glad you're here because we're going to hear some of the story because you've been a policeman, you've been a businessman, you've um, worked with local church for years, you're dedicated to your own church. And when you live in San Diego, now you're in Colorado. And then you became the CEO of Promise Keepers, a very small organization that probably no one has heard of, but right. powerful. <laughs> just kidding. And uh, so, it, which has also changed the trajectory of your life. But I want to talk to you about just how did you kind of get started in this place? Like, how did your faith impact these kinds of decisions? I mean, going from policeman to real estate to, you know, appraisal, or I think it was appraisal, and all these things, like, like how did your faith lead you this way? You know, I told you guys I had a really cool story that'll take a few minutes to tell, but I think people will love it. Tell us. Um, when I left the LAPD, it was amidst all the Rodney King stuff. I was a copper in, in South Central LA, Compton. Yeah. You, I mean, you you know that area. Um, so brutal, you know, I averaged over two felony arrests per day over a gun off the street per day. It was high-speed pursuits and violence and shootings and all that. But then I laughed and didn't know what to do. Um, got into business. God really blessed me. And I ended up growing this commercial real estate 
valuation firm into the biggest of its kind in, in the US, mm. sold it to Cars International. I sold 85% of it to Cars International. Wow. I kept 10% and 5% I kept to be able to, for my employees to be able to buy in. So now I'm running this huge international company. Um, this was in 2006. And in 2008, I started thinking, you know, I've really gotten kind of proud of myself. I realized that everything I have came from God, but now suddenly I'm traveling all over the world and I have tens of thousands of people answering to me and I would go surfing almost every day in Encinitas at Moonlight Beach. I'd get down there, watch the sun come up, surf. I was a terrible surfer. So it was a great exercise because, you know, an hour of surfing and it was a great lot of exercise for me, whereas all the good surfers were, you know, I was that guy, right? That was just falling yeah. off the board. You should have gone <laughs> to pipes. Yeah, I was not good enough for pipes, man. I, I would have gotten beat up at pipes. <laughs> I would, I'd go back and then I'd sit in my car and then I'd, I'd read the Bible for a couple of hours and then I'd be in the office by 7.30 in the morning. It was a great deal. And one day I got deeply convicted to pray for humility. And when I prayed for humility, what I meant was God zapped me with humility. I didn't mean teach me humility. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, we learn through pain and God went, you want humility? I'll show you humility. And so what had happened was I had sold the companies. I'd said 5%, all of our employees bought in at this sort of pre-stock price. Well, we had been a, an employee with a couple hundred employees and our accounting team all did things by cash accrual accounting. When we now became this international deal, it was gap accounting, which is vastly more complicated. Right. And they didn't know what they were doing and they didn't tell me. And I didn't know enough to know they didn't know what they were doing. Just after I prayed for humility, I mean, within a couple of days, I get a call from the purchasing company that says, hey, you guys are massively in debt. You've borrowed all this money, blah, blah. I'm like, that's not true. I, I've already talked to my accounting team. You guys are wrong. We're good. I call back my accounting team. We're good. We're good. They made a mistake. Okay. A week later, no, no, we did an audit. You're massively in debt. Not only are you massively in debt, but all the stock that we'd sold to our companies was now worth zero. Oh, wow. And I had had employees come up to me and say, hey, we, we, we took a reef, we financed our house. We got $300,000 of stock in the company. We're so excited. We're betting on you. I mean, oh, wow. dude, let me just tell you. So I want to interrupt that to go back to a story that I have to tie in. About five years earlier, living in Encinitas, I had had this woman call me from Dallas and say, we have this MAI designation and needs continuing ed. I had a class I'd signed up for in LA. I saw you on the class. My daughter lives in Oceanside. Would you pick me up every day and drive me to LA to take this class with you and back? I'm like, no, I don't want to pick up an old lady two hours each way in LA traffic for a week, but I wasn't going to strand her. So yeah, okay, I did. So I spent this week driving this lady, never thought about it again. Back to this abysmal story, 2008, the markets just crash. Right. Everything's a mess. We're massively in debt. Employee stocks worth zero. They don't know it's worth zero because no one's tried to cash in their stock yet. It's privately held stock. Well, every six months I would fly to Sydney, Australia, where we had a huge market presence and I would advise all the banks on their real estate holdings in the US. So I'm there, it's October of 08, the bond market crashes. People are suicidal. Um, it's brutal. Come back in from Sydney, I land in LAX and my phone is lighting up. This is 2008, so I didn't have self, I didn't have voicemail in Sydney. Phone is lighting up and it's all these messages from the FDIC and they're like, where are you, Mr. Harrison? We're trying to get a hold of you desperately. I'm like, what's going on? So I call the FDIC, oh my gosh, it's Friday morning. 
we have this contract and we've been told we can't send this contract out until we talk to you. I'm like, by who? We don't know. But somebody high up in the government is saying, we have to talk to you before we send a contract. You have to give us an RFP. It's like a hundred page long contract offering mm -hmm. by Monday. I just landed from Sydney, get a team together. And I put together this contract for, I don't know what Monday morning, I get a phone call. Hello, Ken. <laughs> you remember my, I'm like, no. She's like, well, you were such a nice young man. You gave me a ride from Oceanside to this yeah. class in LA. And I'm like, oh yeah. Like, how are you doing? She says, well, I'm doing good because I don't suppose you remember what I did for a living. No. Well, I, I run a little thing called the FDIC. And the FDIC is going to be closing about 5,000 banks with all this stuff that just happened, this collapse of everyone now knows the, the um, prime markets and all that stuff. We're going to be closing 5,000 banks and we need someone to come in and sell all the real estate from every loan that went bad from all these. Oh my gosh. I said, Helene, we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars in fees. That's, that'd be about right. I said, well, this contract that I just sent, like, what's that mean? She goes, well, the board's meeting today. We had the, the dang, this time trying to get a hold of you. <laughs> but the board's meeting today at two o'clock in Dallas. And the, the, the board will decide who to give the contract to, but it really is up to the chairman. And what the chairman says is what's going to, you know, I said, well, Helene, do you have the chairman's number so I can call him and, and, and talk to him? She said, can. I'm the chairman. chairman. <laughs> so at two o'clock that day, we get the contract. We go in. Within two years, we had not only paid back all the debt, but we'd made so much money that the buying entity came in and forcibly bought. It called all the stock from all my employees who all got really wealthy. Oh. All because I gave this woman a ride five years earlier. That is incredible. And so, you know, the interesting thing was I, for six months, dude, I, I can't tell you the desperation of feeling I'd let everybody down. And yeah. everything I thought I knew. And the thing was, the Lord and I had this private joke together because everyone thought I was a genius. Of course, I didn't do anything. I mean, I literally was just sitting there. God is so good. He taught me humility, but he also then brought me up and elevated me into a position and obviously blessed us financially. I own 10% of the company still, so we did really well from that too. But I'll tell you what, if you pray for humility, you better hold on, baby. Because uh, whether I could ever go through that six months again where I just felt worthless. I mean, honestly, the devil was like, you're just some LA cop. Who do you think you are? Oh, you told your company, you thought you were the big man. All these people are going to, they've lost the equity in their homes because of you. And, and you can imagine what, what happened. But persevere, persevere, persevere. And the little things that you do will come back. Given that lady a ride five years earlier, just to be kind. Man, I wanted to listen to Metallica for two hours. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. Wow. I mean, that's, that's pretty incredible to not only think of that God had a supernatural resolution that you could have never brought, but how much he loved each of the employees. And, and he was using this for their, I mean, all their lives, you guys have been so generous and they've, I'm sure many of them have been so generous because of it. Well, Ken, it's interesting. You, you seem, you, you're, you're such a humble guy. And I, I can imagine what, what being on the police force in South Central was like, how did it, how did it, how did your mind handle seeing all the crime, all the negative when, when you're primarily a positive guy? And then how did that translate into these other areas in your, in your self-image? 
there's a lot I could say there. Um, one of the things you see is, is the effect of evil. Um, I, I could tell you guys stories that I, I won't because people wouldn't sleep. I mean, they wouldn't be able to eat. Uh, right. the, the brutality that, that we saw every day, um, day in and day out. And, you know, Jerry Boykin's a good friend of mine, General Boykin from Delta Force. We were talking one night over a campfire about this. He was talking war stories and I was telling LAPD stories. And he's like, you know, what, what strikes me about you guys is that it never ended for you. No. Mm. Yeah. Delta, they go and have these amazing battles. They're, those guys are studs. But then they go home. Well, we that was home. You know, I mean, yeah. it was a weird conundrum to go to South Central and then go back to Huntington Beach where I lived at the time. You know, it was mm. a strange little deal. You're like this mercenary gunfighter guy. And so it screws with your head. Um, so I would say, number one, you see the, the black and whiteness. It, it's been a gift to me to see God's word says what God's word says. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we, you know, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. First John two fifteen. Um, we must love God's word. And when you see people in scripture, they screw up royally all the time. But you know what the thing about it was? Every one of them took scripture for what it was and repented or whatever the case may be. None of them ever twisted the Bible to say what it doesn't say. Mm-hmm. And you learn that in the LAPD that right is right and wrong is wrong and wrong causes immense, massive suffering. The other thing you see is the effect of having no fathers in the, in the neighborhood does. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was shocked, you know, when I got that down there, these gangsters that were holding the city hostage, they were 13, 14, 15 year old kids. Wow. But their guns were the same guns and they had no conscience. They were, they were just a ball of testosterone and desire to be satisfied and the effect that they had. And I would come along, you know, when the sun was coming up at, you know, six, seven in the morning, there would be black women scrubbing the blood off the sidewalks from where the drive-by shootings were the night before. And you, you really have an effect in all that. And I would also say, the idea that cops become racist is such garbage. It's such a lie because in South Central Los Angeles, everyone was black. And then there was Latinos were starting to move in at that time, but all the victims are, are black. You're, you're, you're crying with them. They're, they're, we were so close with the community and we would fight to work on Sundays because on Sunday, most of the people from South Central Los Angeles emigrated there from Louisiana right after World War II. So it was a very Southern culture. So Everybody would get to go with family and barbecue. And so they'd come out, driving your car, officers, come on back and, and have barbecue. We'd go back and there'd be 60 people from the neighborhood and everybody went to church. Everybody had barbecue. I mean, all that stuff that came out about this racism and stuff was such a blatant lie. So I guess the third thing is when you do what's right and you stand for what's right, you're not necessarily going to make friends with everybody because the narrative that people were pushing was a blatant lie. And people would, from the neighborhood would say to us, you know, you know, from Compton, like, why do they keep saying you guys are racist? What I mean, we, we, we know you. I mean, yeah, we know your kids. I could tell you guys stories that go on, we could go on for hours. So I guess kind of a rambling thoughts, but that was sort of it. I think to see the effect of evil and understand that we really need to obey God's word and also to see the effect of what happens when dads don't raise their kids. That's the two yeah. things that came out. Yeah. Talk to us about, but you ended up being asked to be the CEO of Promise Keepers, and it was never even on your grid. It was like not something that you thought you would do. And tell us about Promise Keepers for those who actually don't know about it. Yeah, Promise Keepers was this massive movement in the 90s that you guys know. I mean, it was, Mm -hmm. um, Billy Graham said, the biggest movement of Christian men in the history of the church. Uh, It sold out. 
NFL stadiums in, in 2000, excuse me, in 1997, it sold out 22 NFL stadiums. So we're talking 60 to 80,000 men getting together to worship Christ. And the creme de la creme was it had the biggest gathering in the history of Washington, D.C. 1.4 million men came from all over the world into D.C. to worship at what's called Stand in the Gap. And so it had this massively, massive effect. The issue with Promise Keepers really was that Stand in the Gap was a climax to something with no follow-up. Nobody had really thought about, okay, now we've had this huge mountaintop moment. Now what? And, mm -hmm. and nobody really had the now what. So it basically just began to decline in significance. And by the time I came along in 2017, I only took over Promise Keepers to bring into my foundation waterstone that I run to close the doors on it. It was, mm -hmm. in, it was in shambles. It was a mess. It was in debt. And so um, it's a longer story, but basically I only came onto the board to help my friend Raleigh Washington, who was, who was running it, brought it in and then went to close it. And then at that moment was when the Lord, longer story, but supernaturally, let me know, this is a conversation we've been having. This is what you're here to do. And I, I literally said, Lord, I want, I don't want to run a men's ministry. Oh my gosh, no. Mm -hmm. and, uh, again, I always say, you know, God's not really interested in our opinion. He's, he's interested in our opinions, <laughs> right? Ken, the the notion of the fatherless generation, I think a lot of us understand it intrinsically, but you're with Promise Keepers right in the middle of it. First, we need to be learn how to be brothers and sons before we can be fathers. What are you seeing uh, in, in the Promise Keepers movement that, that is going to bring men back alive? We have to do this with despite much of the church. And I know that's a tough statement. I know you guys know what I mean. Um, much of the church are godly, godly pastors who are doing the work of the Lord, but much of the church are not. And Jesus mm -hmm. promised us that would be the case in the last days. And I mean, you know, uh, second Timothy chapter four, he talks about the fact that people he keep up for themselves, teachers, which te teach them what their itching ears want to hear. There's a lot of pastors out there that are not teaching God's word, don't love God's word, and are manipulating people away. So I think we need to see a movement of men coming together. And one of the problems is I see a massive amount of spiritual literacy. Men don't know the Bible and they don't read. And wow. so easily manipulated. And how in the world are you going to teach your kids when you don't know what God's mm -hmm. word says? Mm -hmm. And people say, well, I don't know what to do. I'm confused. It's hard. You know what? Only gro Growth only comes from pain. It's true. Pain. You want to get in shape? Very painful. You want to learn Spanish? It's going to be painful. You, you pick learning, it comes from discomfort. Challenge yourself to read X amount of the Bible every day. Even if you feel like you don't understand, the Holy Spirit that's in you will teach you God's word. You don't need somebody else to teach you God's word. You need to be in God's word. You don't need somebody else's interpretation. I, I, behind me, you can see all my books, all my Andrew Murray books and stuff. I love to tap into men who are way wiser than me, but you need to be in God's word every day. And he will teach you to read three chapters of the Bible. Honestly, guys, what's it take you three minutes? I mean, if you're just reading, like if you really start studying, it takes a lot longer. Yeah. Three chapters a day, start off in the book of John, go to Acts and keep going. Romans will be a challenge, but read it get to know God's word so you can teach others because our kids today, we live in a time unlike any other time in the history of the world where fools have a voice before a fool was in a town. People knew he was a fool. He didn't have an, an, any way of elevating himself, but now with Twitter and social media, 
fools are, are able to, to broadcast their stupidity across yeah. the world and other fools jump on and it creates a false um, narrative and young people don't have the wisdom yet to go, well, who is that who's saying that? Well, wh what is this person worth listening to? No, they just see somebody with a giant Twitter following and they fall into that. They need their dads to be able to step in and say, let's talk about truth. Oh, your teacher told you that maybe you're a boy because you're feeling uncomfortable because you're going through puberty, my young daughter. What does the Bible say about that? What does my world experience tell me about that? We have to be proactive because the time is short. Satan, is his voice is very loud right now. And we need yeah. men to step up and raise their families and love their wives, man. Coach McCartney, who started Promise Keeper, said, the most valuable thing a man can do for his kids is to love their mother. Amen. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, I think you and I had this conversation too about how men are some of the loneliest people there are and that they don't uh, intentionally join community or go towards community or real relationship. So often, even men who are in church, uh, they can be in church for years with not even having a real friend in the church. So you guys, and part of what you want to do with Proverbs Keepers is from going to the macro, the big stadium events, and actually you guys have an app now. People can go online and actually have interaction, real engagement, real community. And you're encouraging men to have friends. You're encouraging men to be a friend. To, so talk about that a little bit as far as like just how men being together. I remember going to my uh, urologist of all people. Sorry for bringing it up. But, uh, and he goes, hey, you need a testosterone spike. Uh, you don't need a lot. But one of the main ways to do it is to hang out with some of your buddies and just go play basketball or just go work out with them. He goes, did you know that that could do more than taking testosterone supplements? And just men being around each other, we're biologically wired to be with each other and actually to enhance each other. And it's a biological thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's an emotional thing. So talk about that some. I love that question because it helps me to qualify what I was saying before too, because I didn't finish that thought. Um, I want to be careful what I'm saying about the church. The church is God's bride and it is his chosen vessel. And Promise Keepers is here to be subservient and part of mm -hmm. the church. I'm just saying we need also to point out godless teachers who are manipulating God's word in a bad way. and men. We need to give them the tools to understand what's what. I'm not talking about doctrine. I'm not talking about getting between Presbyterians or Pentecostals. I'm talking about God's word, like the truth of it. What, what does God say? Um, we talked last time about the fact that men do relationships by doing together. Right. Like, yeah. And so society today is built for women. And I'm not saying that as a bad way. I'm just saying that as a factual thing. And church today is built for women. And what I mean by that is that it's built by communicating. Women Get, come together, they have lunch together, they talk on the phone, women love to communicate. That's how they make relationship. But Sean, you and I can have lunch together all the time, but we ain't going to be friends. Because I don't really know if I can trust you from having lunch. I know what you say, but I need to know what you do. And how men really make friends is we go golfing together, we go fishing, we go skiing, hunting, play basketball. Now I know who you are, because I see what happens when I've jumped up and just rejected your shot. And then <laughs> And now we're, we're laughing and we're like, right? This is what makes friends, men friends. Well, we don't have that. It, the, the, the epidemic of the friendless American male is really a problem. So what with Promise Keepers, what we've done is we've developed this app, which has gotten huge usage and huge conversation strings. And the whole point of it is to drive men together into relationships around doing together. Because playing basketball, that's all that's great. But ultimately, what that will help that too is doing together by serving the poor together, by going and helping each other. But we've got to start by getting men together into actual relationship through churches. And so the app is really easy to download. It's excellent and it's getting a lot better. We finally have some funding to really make it great. But even so now we have some crazy number of all the statistics on our app. It's very highly used. 
So I would encourage men to get on it. I would encourage women to tell their husbands to get on it. Look for guys that are in your area, link up with them, get together. And, and I'm saying Bible study is the key, but don't get together for Bible study. Get together to go golfing together. Mm-hmm. Or get together to be brothers together. Yeah. Don't make it a religious thing. Make it a human being thing. And then God, the word of God will bless that as you go. It's so good. It's so good, Ken. The thing that I hear most often from men uh, in, in my circles is I don't have friends. And, and I, I, I think, gosh, what is it going to take? Because God's blessed me with not only, you know, father figures, but friends. And, and I think what you're doing is so important. How do people get a hold of you or Promise Keepers? Uh, promisekeepers.org. Um, they can email me at kenh at waterstone.org. Um, feel free to, I'll get to everybody's email. Wow. Um, I wonder how long I'm going to be able to say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think this might be the last show you can say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? Also, your book is out. Talk about the book that came out just in 2022, because this is. Yeah, so it, it, that, I, thanks for that, because actually this is a really important part of the conversation. I, I wrote a book. It's my third book, but it's called The Daring Faith in a Cowardly World. Mm. And part of what I've seen, and Bob, you, you talk about this, is um, men don't have friends. They're lonely, but also they're filled with fear. Yeah, I think these things come from not having an identity and a goal in life. Men need that desperately. Who Absolutely. am I? Right? When women meet each other, oh, tell me about your kids. Oh, tell me about men are like, what's the first question? What do you do? Yeah, exactly. Who are you? Um, what is your identity? And, and if you don't have one, you're lost. Well, what is our identity in Christ? And our identity in Christ is we are saved by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 not of yourselves, even the faith you have to believe in God is a gift from him. But what's Ephesians 2.10 say? We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works mm-hmm. that were prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So all of us who have received Jesus Christ, his grace, we had a plan that he laid down at the beginning of time for us to accomplish. And we'll be judged based on how well we accomplish that plan. Not our sin, those are forgiven. But all those parables in Matthew 25 are about believers. Will you be about your father's business or not? Romans chapter 8 is, is basically the great climax of all of Scripture. Will you choose life, the spirit, or will you choose death, the flesh? Wow. And we have men choosing death because they've been told, Jesus did it all on the cross, so now you're done. There's nothing else to do. No, 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 no. Jesus did it all on the cross so that you could be born again as a baby. Now you need to grow up and get busy. And he has crowns and rewards for you for all of eternity if you choose life. So that's what I wrote the book about is why should I give everything for Jesus? Why? Why should I die to myself every day? Because, man, he has great blessings for us. And, you know, at the end of Scripture, Revelation 22, 14, Jesus gives this little speech. And he starts it off by saying, behold, I'm coming quickly. And I have crowns to reward those for what they have done. Mm. He's coming back, and when he comes back, he's going to demand an accounting for the three of us and everybody else who's watching. What did you do with the free gift of salvation that I gave you? Wow. <laughs> I drop right there. Yeah, <laughs> I love you. I, lo- I just love your heart. I love your spirit. I love who you are. We're so glad to have you on. I want to have you back sometime, but thanks for being here today. Thanks, man. Thanks, guys. Well, up next, we have final thoughts with Sean and Bob. I'm Sean Bowles, and I want to invite you to our Spiritual Growth Academy online, where you can attend a four-week class or an event every month 
plus our back catalog is available to you as well on spiritual gifts, especially hearing God's voice, and also a deeper connection to the Holy Spirit and how to walk with him in real ways in the days we're living in right now. Come join us at Spiritual Growth Academy by going to bullsministries.com and clicking on the Academy button. Welcome back to Final Thoughts, Sean. What an interview with Ken. He's got so much depth and into yeah. his personality is so amazing. I know it's it's really amazing also to see that a ministry like Promise Keepers that had such a huge impact on America specifically, but also in the whole world is being rebooted right now as more of a community service to really empower men to do things together. And I love that it's going into technology like an app and these kinds of things. But I think, you know, Ken, um, the way he quantified men, especially, and I know a lot of our listeners are men, um, that we need friends, that we need to do things together, that we need community. This was, this was really important to me because I feel like you, you and I both consult leaders a lot of times, and especially when they're business leaders, most of the time they're pretty lonely people. Mm-hmm. And if they're not lonely, usually they're friends with the people that work for them or their family members that usually work for them too. But they're not necessarily like giving that power to make huge decisions or powerful decisions in their life away to other people. They, and so therefore, if decisions fail, a lot of times they carry that failure alone or they carry that in an isolated way. And so I think it's really powerful that Ken is championing the fact that we have to be brave and risk for the sake of relationship. I think it's just so profound. We need that. We need that in the community of men on the earth right now. I think it's interesting that, you know, a lot of men are are risk takers in business or in ministry, risk takers in a lot of different areas. But when it comes to their heart, uh, they're not willing to risk asking somebody to coffee, getting to know somebody, becoming vulnerable. And, and I think, you know, it's an exhortation and a challenge because Sean, you and I both have groups of close friends who who know us authentically, and we know we know people authentically. We know each other authentically, and we're able to speak into each other's lives. And it and it helps when we get into those places where we're isolated and afraid. Yeah, it's interesting for me too because I think of both of us are good examples of men who we've let God build our rolodex and our friendship circle. And because I don't know, being, you know, in my 40s, that I would be able to develop some of the friendships I have now without God. Because mm-hmm. there's just, you need God to get, because your own chemistry won't always choose the right people to be friends with. Like, they seem cool, they seem fun, you get to know them, you're like, nah, you know, <laughs> not, not for the deeper things. But when God helps pick your friends, when he brings people in your life, like he brought you and Lauren into our lives. Yes. And, and it, what normally takes years for both sides of us to open up to, we were already there, like in the first little moment. And both, all of us have experienced some levels of friendship brokenness or betrayal at different times in our lives. So, you know, I build relationships really slow if it's up to me. And when it's up to God, he allow, He accelerates it. And I think, I think men and women just have to have courage to have authentic relationship where we share power over our hearts and over our lives with other people. And where it's not weird, where it's not like, this is my accountability partner. Not that that's wrong. Right. Right. But when it's when it's about just doing Christian mission together, but actual real life friends that actually do real life together and Christianity is, of course, a driving force. But at the same time, it's there's so much to us that isn't just the spiritual journey that we're on, but is the natural spiritual. I, th- I think it's all the same. But, you know, yeah. like, how do you do kids? How do you make decisions over your house? How do you make decisisons over your finances? How do you when, when you're going through the hardest parts of your soul and self-discipleship over issues you have. How do you include people in that? And that those are things that aren't done well. Yeah, and I think I think the key, at least for me, is to ask the Lord to bring friends who are safe. 
And you know, you test the waters and and you find people that are safe. And you and I both have had relationships where we've gone too all in and then been burned, um, you know, with safety and confidentiality. And it really hurts. But in in my life, you know, I don't have any other option but to continue to reach out, continue to be vulnerable uh, to my wife and to my friends and and continue to try to be known because it's really, really lonely if you're not. Yeah, loneliness is overrated <laughs> for sure. Well, I'm so glad we had this conversation with Ken Harrison today. I want to encourage you to stay on the journey with us of these powerful conversations with men and women in different careers and backgrounds where their faith is making such a difference in their opportunity and their purpose in life. And so I want to encourage you to subscribe to this podcast if you're listening on podcasts, if you're on CBN News, Go to us on CBN News, Sean and Bob, we're exploring the marketplace and find our other episodes that you could download and binge watch them until you get everything you need out of them. And I also want to encourage you to help us make the show by making a donation one time or become a partner by going to donate.bullsministries.com. We'll see you next time. Thanks for exploring what God is doing in the marketplace with us. We have amazing resources for you at our website with free videos, Take an online class with us at our online school, Spiritual Growth Academy, or get one of our books, including the one Bob and I authored together, Wired to Hear. We have lots of ways to connect with you. Come visit us on social media. Just look for at Sean Bowles or at Bob Hassan or visit BowlesMinistries.com. This show is made possible by listeners just like you. Become a partner or donate now to become part of our team. If you enjoyed today's episode, share it on your socials or help us review it on the podcast server you found us on. See you next time.